Hello and welcome to another episode of Despite the Challenges, a show where we showcase amazing people who, despite their impeding circumstances and challenges, not only they turn around their own lives, but they go out in the community and do amazing things. Today, we're taking just a little twist out of a regular topic, and I have two amazing guests in my studio. They are uh, going to be telling us the community they serve and people who benefit the services they provide. So today I have uh, Patricia Hart. She is the Executive Director of Women's Space in Mercer County, uh, which is a nonprofit organization providing services to domestic violence victims, and Nicole Marella. She is the Director of Public Policy and Communication with the New Jersey, with the Coalition, New Jersey Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Patricia and Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Tell us a little bit about uh, the organization, about yourself, your organization. Um, okay. I, uh, Patricia Hart, I'm the executive director of Women's Space. I've been at Women's Space for 22 years wow. and a half. And um, it's been a pretty amazing experience starting as a clinical social worker and always interested in women's issues. And so um, I was really pleased to be able to, to come to Women's Space and be able mm -hmm. to make a difference in a, in a with a population that I felt so committed to. So th here in New Jersey, as both of you have experienced, we are pretty diverse population to start with. Correct. You know, and uh, 22 years is a lot to, to stay with one organization, and I'm sure that you have seen and witness a whole lot of different types of mm. stories and incidents. Yeah, one of the things that's really nice about having that long of a tenure with an organization is that you can address issues as they arise. Life changes. 22 years ago, life was extremely different at Women's Space. Uh -huh. uh, just, we had two computers. That's it. Now we have computers at every desk and cell phones and mm -hmm. the world of um, the internet and mm -hmm. um, all that that involves in terms of our work, um, stalking and oh, those I see. kind of yes. So the technology, yes. that's just one aspect, right, that we've seen mm -hmm. a huge shift. And so we've had to change the way we work with our clients. We have to not just talk about safety planning in terms of do you have your important papers? Do you have the clothes yes. you need? Do you have somewhere to go? But we also now have to look at technology and safety. Do you have a cell phone? Does yes. someone else have access to it? Do you have a computer? Is perhaps there someone so. who can access? So, so that's just one aspect of a huge change in 22 years. But throughout those 22 years, we've been able to address a lot of different issues with a very diverse, as you say, population, mm -hmm. and mostly learning from them, you know? Yes, we, that's, that's true. That's the key. <laughs> yes. We, we want to help, but we aren't the expert in everyone and everything. So we listen to what the needs are and then try to fill those needs, and that's kind of how the 22 years has evolved for me. 
So, and I feel grateful to be able to do Good that. Good to hear that, yeah, and we'll thanks. hear more. And Nicole, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Okay, so um, again, I'm with the New Jersey Coalition to End Domestic Violence. We're a state-level advocacy organization which, with a membership of about 30 domestic violence programs across the state, which include organizations much like Women's Space mm -hmm. that provide the crisis emergency services to victims and their families in every county. Um, I've been at the coalition for about a year at this point. I've been working in the domestic violence field for 15 years. I had the opportunity to work with two of our other member programs in that time, um, but I started see. as a court-based victim advocate in Washington, D.C. Okay. Um, when I was there getting my master's degree in public policy. I see. I see. So both of you have outstanding experiences. And uh, Pat, just tell us a little bit more on the domestic violence in general and how your organization is finding the unique population to serve? Hmm. Well, I think one of the ways is to really stay in tune to what's going on. And so we, our goal is to be as present as we possibly can be and as accessible as we possibly can be. We, our, our original growth was around programming, so mm -hmm. an emergency shelter, which is accessible 24-7, 24-hour hotlines, we operate three mm -hmm. of them that are accessible 24-7, transitional housing, uh, non-residential counseling. So trying to, a lot of community education, of course, and volunteer response to the police departments. Our response teams respond to every police department in Mercer County and um, and also the colleges and the state police. So it's how do you possibly be in as many places as you can be? And then it's understanding the unique population. So starting out with no one who spoke Spanish and recognizing we needed to do a better job in the Latino population. And so the way we do that, and I think mm -hmm. the most successful way to do that with any population is partnering with a Latino organization. And in doing that, mm -hmm. that community begins to trust you and they begin to understand yes. that you really want to serve mm -hmm. them in the way that they need to be served. Listen to them. Yes. What do you need? And, and, um, and so in that particular instance, we've gone from a part-time counselor to a third of our counselors who speak Spanish. And I see. about a third of our population is Latino. So, <clears throat> so it's that, working with the homeless and knowing that's a huge problem now. Women mm -hmm. and children are homeless, are homeless, the largest percentage of them homeless due to domestic violence. Yes. So how do we address a homeless population that's also mm -hmm. experiencing domestic violence? Well, we partner with Homefront and we do that. They serve the homeless, we do domestic violence and we make good partners. Okay. Um, we learn about human trafficking and become develop a committee, begin to address all those mm -hmm. things, ask the right questions. So as each new, you know, as each new issue or new population comes into our community, our community, as I'm sure you know, has changed, you know, enormously in 22 yes. years. Yes. And we need to be able to meet the needs of everyone. So mm -hmm. um, the diversity of our staff is really important to that, I believe. Absolutely, and uh, the, the diversity as well as the flexibility of uh, reaching out and being able to provide the services that recipients need, not mm -hmm. what's available. And I'm sure that that drives a whole lot of new 
initiatives and programs. And I know Women's Space has been doing a wonderful job. And uh, given that long history and the number of programs that uh, you guys are um, out there providing outreach and training, et cetera, um, tell us a little bit more about the, uh, the DEF project. Yeah. So in, as we, um, this, I guess this was more of a personal <laughs> This was a personal experience, and I thought, why, why do we not have deaf clients? We know mm -hmm. that there are deaf individuals out there, and what do we, what do we need to do mm -hmm. to be able to reach out to the deaf community? And so um, the coalition started several years ago um, to begin to explore accessibility in the deaf community and brought in... Um, uh, brought on a brought in a, a gentleman from the Division of Deaf and Hard of Hearing, and mm -hmm. they um, gave all of our programs TTYs and mm -hmm. training on how to use them. And um, and at the time, that was the state of the art in terms of the deaf okay. community. Um, okay. And the coalition was at the forefront of saying we need to do this statewide. And so, um, and as with everything else. It changes, so absolutely, no one's calling TTYs <laughs> anymore. No one's using TTYs anymore, and I'm saying, what's going on? We need uh -huh. to figure this out, and and um, somewhat like the model we use with the Latino, we needed to work with the deaf community, and so the the New Jersey Coalition to End Domestic Violence, the New Jersey Coalition Against Sexual Assault, um, Women's Space, the Division of Deaf and Hard of Hearing, who have been very supportive. Um, and the New Jersey Association of the Deaf, all of us working together, representatives from those, mm -hmm. to begin to develop what has become our Deaf Advocacy Project. Okay. Um, and the, the goal is to both train domestic violence and sexual assault agencies, because this is, you know, I am a domestic violence sexual assault agency. I, I'm not personally, but I, I am a part of, and I think, oh, we're doing a good job. But until we ask yes. the deaf community what do they need, we may not be doing as effective a job as we need to. So that's what we started doing. We started I listening. See. What do we need mm -hmm. to do? So we started to train the domestic violence and sexual assault programs on the accessibility, on the deaf community, because there's a culture, just like with yes. every nationality and every... Yes religion and every, there's a kind of culture that is involved and mm -hmm. with the deaf community it's the same. So we all learned a lot mm -hmm. about what the deaf community um, is all about and, and, and then in listening to the, the three of the women on our committee are deaf, mm -hmm. um, listening to them, we developed a plan to train deaf individuals. So we recruited and trained deaf individuals um, across the state of New Jersey. So we trained domestic violence programs statewide, okay. and then we trained deaf individuals to be advocates for deaf victims. Okay. Could you, for our audience, could you expand a little bit on those uh, uh, unique barriers that a deaf person may have in a domestic violence situation then anyone like you and me. So what would be those challenges? So people are aware of, you know, they, there is added layer of complicating. Mm -hmm. There is, there right. exactly mm -hmm. is. 
Um, well, so for a deaf individual who's mm -hmm. being victimized, there are many things that might be a little different. Mm -hmm. um, one, it's a very closed community. So there's not a lot of confidentiality. People know what's going on. If you go somewhere to get help, people are going to know that you're going somewhere. That is a huge uh, deterrent many times. They don't okay. want people to know what's going on. And so, uh, as unfortunately is true with domestic violence, people want to keep that mm -hmm. secret. But if you're deaf, just literally, you have no voice. Right? You have no voice. And so you can't scream out. You can't yell for help. You can't, you can't call 911. Mm -hmm. because 911 is a telephone. You can't, so if you're in a crisis, do you really have time to call a relay service, to call 911? Usually not. So just that alone is very restrictive in order to get the help they need. They can't always do the things we take for granted. Mm -hmm. Pick up the phone, call 911. Okay. A question. Uh, either one of you mm -hmm. can sure. comment on it. As uh, majority of the uh, people, either victims or in general population, um, people tend to hold inside, not share the domestic violence situation. And how often you hear that, oh, I thought that just happens in a relationship. They don't consider a emotional, verbal abuse mm -hmm. as a domestic violence. How do you find that in a deaf community? Is that something in a common assumption among people or? Well, I, I think, you know, unfortunately, I think broadly in our community, that's an assumption or a belief until maybe it does turn physically violent or those mm -hmm. that emotional abuse turns more threatening. Mm -hmm. We have a tendency to kind of sweep that under the rug or we don't yes. identify it as being a symptom of a pattern of more controlling and abusive behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, so yes, I think that, you know, including the deaf community, um, there probably is that assumption or a belief. Or I think that if we think of relationships too where the victim is hard of hearing or deaf and you, they're with a hearing partner, some of that emotional abuse may be triggered or um, the abusive partners using the victim's disability as the excuse. Um, to degrade them, to demean them, possibly to call them names, to restrict mm -hmm. their contacts to the community, to further isolate them. Mm -hmm. um, so I do think, unfortunately, though, broadly in our community, we still don't identify emotional and mm -hmm. mental abuse as the abuse that it is and the power and control that it tends to um, illustrate in relationships um, until it gets, unfortunately, too dangerous. Too dangerous, yes. Uh, the the uh, access to information among deaf community, mm -hmm. do you think it's just a matter of them reaching out or based on your experiences, do they know that there's help exists? Well, I have to say, I think that was one of the poignant things about Pat taking on this project and really leading it. Because as she said, you know, prior to this, many years prior to this, going back probably more than 10 years, mm -hmm. um, the coalition had been doing work with the Division of Hard of Hearing and the Deaf. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she said we equipped all of our programs with TTY phones. We had been for about five to 10 years doing cross training where we as domestic violence advocates were going out and training providers in the deaf community. They were we were inviting them into our programs to train domestic violence staff on how to be more sensitive and culturally competent mm -hmm. to, to victims and survivors coming mm -hmm. from the deaf community. But there was still a disconnect. Um, you know, we had 
in our minds created the infrastructure, the education, the mm -hmm. the tools to hopefully engage and and encourage that community to to contact us. But as you said, those TTY phones weren't ringing. You know, mm -hmm. we weren't necessarily getting that response. Um, and again, statistically, we knew that there were victims and survivors out there not getting services. And so you know how important it is to have advocates that are representative of those communities to be available to go out into those communities and to meet victims where they are and where they're seeking out help um, really helps to bridge that gap I think Absolutely. as opposed to just creating the system and creating the infrastructure and waiting for them to come to us. Um, how much it has changed in the response when you have the advocates going out there? Well right now <clears throat> how ha having the advocates, the, the the effect has been that they can begin to spread the word. Mm -hmm. So we're just, we finished training our advocates and we're looking to them to be our emissaries in the deaf community. I if, see. You know, if we think about ourselves, we're more comfortable with someone who's like us. Yes. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean we discriminate. It simply means that there's a comfort level. Yeah, if, you're, if your language is American Sign Language, if you sign to communicate, it's so much more comfortable for you to share information, to be, if you're in crisis, to be able to talk with someone who speaks your language. Absolutely. And so the goal is yes. to have our deaf advocates, although eventually they'll be going out to meet with deaf clients right now, there are emissaries in the deaf community. It's, as I said, it's a very closed community, and so everyone knows everyone, which is yes. something that we've learned, um, and so we want we want them to be our spokesperson to say this is a safe place to be. I see. However, I see. in order to be considered a safe place, we need also to look at ourselves. Are we doing, so we changed, um, well, we operate three hotlines, we now have a texting hotline. So I if see. you're deaf, you can text. Now, you can also call through a relay, but texting is the way people communicate these days, and we thought that would make mm -hmm. it easier. We thought we were doing a great job. We were very sensitive, we were really doing good, until a deaf woman came to our front door, mm -hmm. rang the doorbell, because all our programs are locked. The secretary talked through the intercom and said, can I help you? Mm -hmm. And wondered why no one answered. And so we weren't being as effective. Here she is at our front door, and she can't hear. She can't hear the buzzer. She can't hear the secretary. Luckily, she went around to the back door and started banging on the door, which I really appreciate that <laughs> she did that. But that was a big eye-opener for us. And I mm -hmm. think that no matter how committed you are and how much you think you know, unless you're asking and saying, how can we help you? How can we be more accessible? So there are simple things to do to make yourself more accessible, in addition to all the other things that are you know very important to do to respond so that's a very good example you know and the person was defiant enough to to mm -hmm. stay and be heard she was right. very happy so yeah. you know and uh, those are the kind of examples that uh, make you take a look at what's like you said what's working and what's not working um, in terms of receiving the services, uh, do you find a lot of challenges? Is there enough support or, or are there any other um, um, services as a legal help or something that you find that, okay, you know, we covered the basics, but there's still more needed? 
I, I, I think a part of it is letting folks know what they're responsible to do. Mm -hmm. So if you're mm -hmm. serving the deaf community, you need to provide interpreters. You need, it's not the deaf person, mm -hmm. and so we'll get those calls. So who pays for the interpreter, the deaf person? Mm -hmm. No, it's not the deaf person. So if they need legal help, um, then there needs to be an interpreter to be able to make that happen. And, and a lot of that becomes the challenge for, for everyone, how to make sure that you have the interpreters you need so that people can communicate effectively. Um, so I don't, I think a part of how I want to answer is the job is never done because we keep learning how to be better at what we're trying yes. to do. Mm -hmm. and, and hopefully that will never stop. Um, but we do, we, you know, we do have to be willing to acknowledge when we're maybe not doing as good a job as we could. We, we need to be better. As you said, it's a learning process. It is a learning in process. In order to provide services, you need to know what's needed out in the community. As and we just talked about, that New Jersey is a pretty diverse community, mm -hmm. and you talk about interpreters. And I'm sure that being um, such a diverse community here, Throughout New Jersey, you might have bilingual interpreter, etc. So, if um, people listening out there, viewers out there, could be of any assistance to the organization as volunteers, or uh, may need uh, to know more about your services, of course, we can give them the website and mm -hmm. uh, contact information. If you needed community support, what would that be? Well, one of the things that has been very interesting about this project is there's no funding for it. So all of us who are working on it, on the committee, are doing it in our spare time. I so see. we continue to do that. We started a GoFundMe site. And okay. uh, you know, um, and we use that money to pay for interpreters for our training. Mm -hmm. um, we've gotten small grants. The coalition had access to small grant in the beginning. We received a small grant from BlackRock. So we've gotten some small grants, but we've not had kind of wide support. So okay. we really look to the community to help support what I think to be is a critical mm -hmm. project to mm -hmm. deal with. Um, one of, one of the things that I started to do was look at the numbers and um, if, you know, using numbers from Gallaudet University, which is a university outside of Washington, D.C. that um, is um, largely a deaf college. Okay. okay. <clears throat> so they're the voice of the deaf. Uh -huh. um, and um, according to their, their, their um, census data in New Jersey, we have about 69,000 deaf individuals, not counting um, institutionalized, not counting the elderly who are just who are hard of hearing. Um, yes. These are people in their active years mm -hmm. who are, are deaf, the, you know, deaf because of the of accidental hearing. or for whatever reasons. Birth. It could be many different reasons, mm -hmm. and um, and sixty nine thousand. That's a lot. And so, if you look at the statistics on domestic violence, you were talking about it one in four. And if you look at the research related to vulnerable populations, such as deaf, it's higher. It's, it's higher. It's much higher. higher. Sometimes <laughs> as much as double. Yes. So supposing we even use the smaller amount, which is one in mm -hmm. four, we still have about 17,000 
it's one thing to have clients come to our programs and receive the services of our programs, but so many of our advocates help connect victims and survivors to the systems and services outside of ourselves. And it's really critical to have advocates that are knowledgeable about what's available, what that victim has a right to, that services should be providing interpreters, that when they go to court, that's something that they should expect to have when they go to the police department. Um, and so if you're by yourself as a victim or survivor, you may not know that or you just may not have the mm -hmm. the strength or the courage or the ability for whatever reason to be able to advocate for those things. And so sometimes having a trained advocate, especially one from your own community, can be really helpful in to make that process more efficient and more effective for that mm -hmm. victim or survivor. Um, but we've been so not only pleased with the work that Pat's done, but appreciative that she really has had an interest in spreading it out beyond Mercer mm -hmm. County, beyond Women's Space, and has really striving to make this a statewide initiative. Um, she's been sharing this information with all of the members through our different forums and the different work that we're doing on the trainings, ensuring that we're offering the trainings regionally so it's not just something that you need to come to Mercer County to receive, but she's worked with us and the member programs to make sure that we're hosting this in different mm -hmm. parts of the state so that we do engage interested individuals in the community um, who have a desire to help to be able to come to one of those trainings and to learn about the work and then mm -hmm. to be able to move forward in that work if that's a desire that they have um, and to get that additional training to be available and to be advocates yes. in their community. So most often you find that it would be the deaf mm -hmm. people who would become the ideal advocates. Do you have uh, other advocates too that who can uh, maybe in the capacity of training them or understand their languages or can speak sign languages can at least uh, be a another source yes. if the deaf advocate is not available. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. yeah, so okay. we, our programs, and I know Packets probably speak to Women's Space, offers uh, training. So being a domestic violence and sexual violence agency, it's an 80-hour domestic violence, sexual violence training. Um, and so it trains them on all the dynamics related to those mm -hmm. different violence and abuses, um, the services, the legal aspects of it, safety planning. And so that's available to anybody who has an interest. And, you know, as we've talked a little bit about, individuals from all different parts of the community and representative of all different communities are welcome to participate in those processes. Um, and certainly training them if you're working with a deaf victim or survivor and you yourself don't know ASL, just as we would train around um, needing to provide services across all different languages, making sure they know how to access interpreters, know how to access language lines or whatever the service might be that's particular to that victim or survivor would be part of that training. All right. We will make all the information available, uh, the contact informations, and uh, definitely the GoFundMe page. Mm -hmm. And uh, if the community members or viewers who are watching and wanted to learn more about the programs or um, maybe somehow volunteer, mm -hmm. you know, so they can contact what the process would be for them to get it's more a, information yeah, and learn about if they it. know ASL more and more. Mm -hmm. It's yes. a second, it's a language that's being yes. taught in school. So. Just a final question. Do you find um, need in uh, the young adults, the adolescents and young adults who are getting into relationships or who are just, uh, could be being bullied or mm -hmm. something like that? Um, do you have any knowledge of that this is, again, a vulnerable community? to focus to not just the people who are in relationships, 
Absolutely. I mean, many, most of our programs, if not all, respond to teen victims, and okay. some of our programs even provide services to uh -huh. teen perpetrators of dating violence. Um, but it's all part of that continuum, right? And so adult domestic violence probably started off earlier on in that person's lifetime. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it starts as child abuse that they've experienced. Oftentimes it leads to dating violence and then later on adult domestic violence. So we do see it as a, an important population to serve because we see that not only important to address the violence they're experiencing now, but hopefully to prevent it from continuing later in their life, whether they're a victim or the perpetrator of that That's violence. Right. All right. Well, I thank you so much for sharing this information with our viewers. Yeah. And uh, I am sure that there would be a more um, awareness in the communities. Mm -hmm. And for our viewers, if you have any questions, please check the phone numbers on our captions and contact um, either of the agencies. They would be more than happy to provide you more information. Either you are going to be needing services or want to help them in any way. So thank you for joining us. I am host Ritu Chopra. Until next time.